so religiously superior. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all I get. Basically, this is what the Pharisee is saying. I thank you that I am such a great guy. I mean, just thank you, God, that I'm just, I'm, I'm hitting it. I am just moving and grooving. I thank you that I am not like other men. I fast tithes a week. I give tithes of all I get five times. And if you look it up in the original, it's five times I is you. Ego is used. I, 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 I. Pride permeates this prayer. He tips his hat to God and talks about himself. There's one man and there's his prayer. And by the way, our prayers reveal our hearts. What we truly believe is revealed in how we pray. Moreover, our approach to prayer reveals our approach to life. We live as we pray. Our manner of addressing God reveals the theology through which we address the whole of faith and life. We may put it this way. Nothing so reveals our true convictions about life and eternity as our prayer life. Am I weak? Foolish, guilty, needy, dependent, grateful, eager to serve? If so, my prayer life will reflect these convictions. What I am as a Christian, I prove on my knees. I like that. Thank you, Terry Johnson. What I am as a Christian, I prove on my knees. We can say, for example, that those who do not pray live life as practical atheists. Non-praying folks may say that they believe, but their prayerlessness proves otherwise. Those who pray seldom live like practical agnostics. Those who pray flippantly live flippantly and worship a flippant God. Those who pray earnestly live life earnestly and believe in a serious God. We live as we pray. We pray as we believe. And Robert Murray McShane, Scottish pastor of long ago, says, What a person is alone before God, that he is and no more. And so we have a Pharisee alone before God saying to the effect, I am good. I don't need you, but I thank you. And then you have another person who prays. And there's a contrast. Luke shows us that. Luke wrote his gospel as he says at the very beginning, very pointed in what he says, inasmuch as it has been undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it is good also to me, having followed things closely from some times past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. He wants Theophilus here to know about the gospel and then I'll write the book of Acts to know about the early church. And he's very careful about every single word he chooses. Pharisee, I, 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 but a tax collector, an irreligious person, one who is a sellout to the Roman government, a Jewish person by nature takes a vocation where he's going to rob his own people of money to make a little for the state and a lot for himself. If the Pharisee says, I stand by myself, it says the tax collector standing far off 
in his heart, he even hesitates because this place to which I come, this place to which I offer my prayer, there is a holy God in there. And whether he read Ecclesiastes or not, he understood that he goes to the temple. He goes to pray with an attitude of reverence. He's, he's even, he says, Luke says he's unworthy to approach. He stands far off. He wouldn't even lift up his head. He wouldn't even lift up his eyes. So quite possibly you've got the Pharisee here who's just in love with himself. Just one of those. And you got a tax collector who can't even lift his eyes to God. And not only that, he beats his chest. You know why he beats his chest? It's a sign of weakness. It's an act of contrition. Men of the day didn't do it. He's beating his chest. He's in agony. No long list. Just a posture of humility. And this is what he says. God, one time he uses a pronoun for himself and it's all in relationship to God. God. They approach him in the same way. God. And then you get a list from this guy and from this guy you get, be merciful to me. And it's literally the sinner. It's not a sinner. It is the. You will want to put the there because that's literally how God be merciful to me, the sinner. Like Paul, who understood he was the least of the apostles, the least of the saints, the chief of sinners. So this tax collector understands God. And it literally reads this. If you want to take a note, this is the crux of the parable. God atone for me. I am the sinner. Atone for me. This gentleman, this tax collector, this irreligious, this scallywag in the eyes of the Pharisee gets the gospel. He uses gospel language. God atoned for me. I can't do it. I'm the sinner. He recognized his only hope was a gracious God who would forgive him for something that had to be atoned for. He knew something had to die on his behalf. David prayed something similar in Psalm 91. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out that phrase, blot out in Psalm 51.1 and 51.9. Blot out my transgressions means atone for them. Cover them over. There's no way, absolutely no way on my own, I can do it. And so you're given the Pharisee and the tax collector, much like the older brother and the younger brother. And you see the principle, the humility 
to trust God totally. He does not come with any list. He doesn't come with anything but his sinful recognition that apart from your work, God, I will die. That's the gospel. Apart from God's work in our heart, we're dead. Apart from God's work through Jesus on the cross, a guy who lived a life we could not live, died a death we should have died. He died and he rose again by the power of the Holy Spirit, sits at the right hand of God. Because of that event and act, and as God comes into our hearts and opens them up to see the truth of the gospel, apart from that, we will die. Apart from that, our friends and our family who don't know Christ are going to die and spend eternity apart from him. They may come to us and give us resume after resume after resume, but I didn't kill anyone. Great. Have you ever been angry with somebody? Because Jesus has something. Well, I've been a good husband to my wife. Ever looked at a woman lustfully? But I, I go to worship every Sunday. Are you in conflict with someone? Because Jesus said that hard attitude is hypocritical. Leave that and go be reconciled. Then come make your worship before God. This is one of the greatest statements on the gospel I've ever heard. The gospel is the startling proclamation that anyone can be right with God by trusting in Christ, not in himself. It's a startling proclamation. That's what Jesus was doing in this parable. A Pharisee and a tax collector, everybody was being set up. This guy's going to not pray right, and this guy's going to pray right. And Jesus goes, And it's like Jesus says, come to me. Come to Christ as you are for who Christ is. Because Jesus tells us the principle in verse 14. I tell you, other places in the gospel, he would say, he who has ears, let him hear. He just does the, the opposite now. I tell you, i.e., listen up. This man went down to his house justified. Justified. Saved. Seen as legally righteous before God. Rather than the other. So Luke records for us God's evaluation of those two prayers. The tax collector trusted God before he got all cleaned up. And he shows us in the reason he was justified is not because he prayed that prayer, but it was the heart behind the prayer. Your position in the temple means nothing, says Daryl Bach. It's the position of the heart that means everything. The problem with the Pharisee is he wasn't pleading for mercy and he wasn't thanking God from the heart for all these things that he did. In fact, so much so that he starts to compare himself with others. Our standard of comparison is Christ Jesus. The minute we start comparing ourselves, well, this is the plan I read and this is how I raise my family and this is the good that I do and this person isn't quite hitting it, you're pharisaical. This is, this is the way it's done. This is the way it did right. You're pharisaical. You're starting to, you're comparing yourself to other people. 
your standard is Jesus. Have I raised my three kids thus far and ministered my wife exactly as Jesus would do every single minute of every day? No way. I don't, I can't compare myself to anyone. Cause when I do, I'm like, well, you know, they don't do this in the morning and they don't do that. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a Pharisee. And so are you. But we're not in opposition to religion or morals, are we? It's a good thing. Let's read it again. Um, I'm not an extortioner, a thief. Good. I want to raise my son not to be a thief. You don't just go in and take things from your sister. You ask. I'm, I'm not unjust. I don't want my kids to be sinners. I'm not an adulterer. My wife doesn't want me to be an adulterer. That's a good thing. I, I don't... If it's right, if he had deduced it right, I don't want my kids being in shady businesses where they manipulate people and and profit at the loss of others, unruly. I want them to understand what devotion means and fasting. I, again, let us make it, Katie goes to Alaska because you gave, praise God. So I want people to give. I want my kids to give. That's how we're training them. So all the things the Pharisee talked about are good. But they're not overflows of his heart. That's what Jesus said. This one went down and the other. For everyone who exalts himself, that's what the Pharisee was doing. He was exalting himself. He'll be humbled. And the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So it's not... We're knocking good works. We're just trying to get Jesus. And so we, right? We want to preach what Jesus preaches. We want to get at the heart of the issue. We can't go and tape apples to telephone poles and say, look at my apple tree. It's a good one. It's big. You see me out there with a big stapler, big stapler gun. Check out my fruit tree. You would go, you're an idiot. That's a telephone pole. Doesn't have roots. There's no life in it. (laughs) And you're running good fruit. You're just taking good. I could have had that. I mean, I was hungry this morning. You could have apples and bananas and you're there taping your fruit to a telephone pole saying, look at my fruit tree. (laughs) Not good. So we're not opposed. We, the church and any preacher who's preaching the gospel is not opposed to good works. It's opposed to the heart behind the good works. So many of us should keep doing the exact same things we're doing, but just change our motive. The Pharisee should do exactly what he's doing, change his motives. Paul said it in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Him we proclaim, admonishing everyone and teaching everyone that we may present everyone perfect in Christ, complete in Christ. And for this, I strive. And the key phrase, according to his might that works within me. Paul said it like this in Ephesians, for it is grace, you have been saved. It's not of your works, lest anyone should boast. 
And then he goes on, we, we stop there, but he goes on, for you are poema, your new creations in Christ Jesus, created for good works. But those good works come 2, 8, and 9, and then 10. Our Mormon fl- friends flip it. Any religion that's not based on grace flips it. So let's quit saying we're, we're against good works and it's all of grace and, and making those mutually exclusive. It is of grace that bears fruit for good works. And Jesus said, that's what makes us humble. So when we do something good, we're humble because we know it's God at work in us. And he's alluding to that day when we will be. May not see it now, but one day our works will prove themselves. First Corinthians, works done in the body. We will be honored for our good works. But we got to be discerning because there's a false humility that creeps around the Christian camp. Proverbs 27, 21 says it like this. The true cruci- the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and a man is tested by his praise. A man is tested by his praise. Dr. Howard Hendricks told us in seminary, don't be pastors and ministers and lay people who are falsely humble. If you do something good, don't go, oh, it's all God. Really? All God? If God did it, it would be perfect. (laughs) That's what he said. How about just a, a thank you? I appreciate your encouragement and God is good. God is good. He gave me the strength to do that. Not, oh, it's all God. It's just false humility. False humility doesn't recognize, and it's, it comes in the form, and it's subtle. It doesn't recognize how prideful it is. Most people, this is, this is, these are stats today, most people say they're above average drivers. If I were to poll, so what do you think? You're, you're an above average driver? Yeah, I'm above average. My wife, she would say, you are below average. You're distracted and you're a goose. Repent of your sin. Don't do the whole win in Rome deal. I mean, right? I get to Dallas and we're zipping. Well, I'm just trying to stay up. No, you're a bad driver. We're, we're above average drivers. We're above average in looks, right? No, you're balding. That's why you shave your head. That's, I mean, just admit it. You're above average in your profession. Psychologists call this self-enhancement. Mathematicians call this impossible. <laughs> but it is said... This is true. It is said to be at a whopping all-time high today, particularly of the young adult generation. 94%. These are the people who are going to take over your business. 94% of college students, I'm an above average leader. (laughs) Really? Then we should be kicking it worldwide. Here's the point he makes. This is problematic because you think if you think you're better at something than you really are, you're less likely to work at it. That's huge. So you don't go out and somebody comes up to me today. Well, how are you doing with, you know, triathlons? Oh, I'm above average. I'm an above average triathlete. Really? No, you're not. You're last in your division. He's 
start talking like you're above average, that's cocky. I gave it my best. God is good. I did not drown. There were no flat tires and I did not bonk. Praise be to God. Right? That's how you answer it. You don't sit there and go, well, you know, I'm above average. I, well, if I would have, uh, would have had more swimming class. You're just not a good swimmer. Well, my chain fell. You're just, you don't know how to cycle. Well, I, you just, you're, you're not a good runner. <laughs> you like to run. You're not, there's a difference. There are people who go to college on scholarships who can run, praise God for them. And then there's you who just runs. <laughs> so just, that's true humility. And we're just subtle about this. We can, we cannot, we, in, in how we receive compliments and how we talk about certain things, we can be goofballs. I'm just, I'm saying we, I'm, I can be, and I'm sure you can be as well. Here's a great thing about true humility. Love this because the other way to do it is just, woe is me, I'm a worm, yada, yada, yada. No, true humility does not think less of yourself. It just thinks of yourself less. That's huge. You're made, you and I are made in the image of God. We, we are, those of us who are saved by grace, have the power of the Holy Spirit to do everything the Pharisee was saying he was doing. It, it doesn't think less of itself, it just thinks of self less. That's huge. Otherwise, we walk around and I'm just no. You're you're in your self pity, just as prideful as the person that boasts. I mean, arrogantly boasts. Let me just give you the list of all the good things I've done. So, how does humility work in our life? Well, this is what Paul says. Love this. He kind of puts us all on equal playing field. 1 Corinthians, he's talking about the cross of Jesus. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has God not made the foolish, has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For consider your calling, brothers, family. This is us, you and me. This is a humbling passage. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. This is, so imagine me being Paul or Sosthenes reading this to you. Not many of you are wise. Not many of you are powerful. Not many of you are of noble birth. I don't see anybody related to Kate in here. Well, maybe long distance, right? Noble birth. Oh, but God, God has chosen what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So that always when you see a so that you pause, here's why. No human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that, as it is written, quotes Jeremiah, that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Let not a mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and he knows me. 
Do you understand and know God? Because if we do, we'd be truly humble. That, that's who we'd be comparing ourselves against. How am I doing as a husband? Well, let me not compare to A, B, and C. Let me go with Jesus. Not too good, right? According to the bridegroom who sacrificially and sensitively and unconditionally gave himself to that bride all the time. How am I doing as a father? Don't need to go A, B, C, or D. Just look at the look at Father God and how he takes care of his children, how he leads, he provides, he protects, and he allows them to walk away knowing that he's going to give them consequences and he doesn't fear like, oh, maybe they will run away from me and never love me again. He just, love and logic. This is the way we live in this family and if you go this way, there are consequences and he doesn't flinch. How am I doing? Not good. It's kind of humiliating when you're up here singing songs on humility and your kids just go three different directions. <laughs> Teaching on humility today. Here's your illustration. Let's work on it. I'm going to work on it. How about this? Relationships with others. James says it in James 4. You adulteresses, do you not know friendship with the world as enemies of God? that you're, good, you're in conflict because each and every one of you is going after the desires of your own heart. And he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Repent, do not laugh, mourn and weep. How about anxiety? Said this once, I'll say it a million times because that is what plagues the church today. God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Are you anxious? You're prideful. When I'm anxious, I'm prideful. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your anxieties on him, those are connected. How do you humble yourselves? You give God all your worries. Why? Because he cares for you. Do you believe that? Because when you're not giving your cares to God, what you're saying is, I'm strong. Obviously, you can't handle this. I know you're ruling the world. There's a lot of stuff going over with these families. I'll just put all my anxieties in a backpack. I'll put them on and I'll carry them around and I'll get kind of buff carrying them around. Then I'll be prideful about how much I carry around my stuff. And he's like, no, I care for you. Throw them on me. Boldness without humility. That's what this Pharisee was. He was bold, but not humble. It's arrogant. I thank you, God. I'm morally superior. I'm religiously superior. And when I compare myself to other people, I'm pretty much a pretty good guy. Humility without boldness, that's, it almost, let me just say that I'm thinking this out loud. Humility without boldness, I don't know if it even really exists, is almost cowardice. Well, I'm just this humble guy. No, that's kind of hidden pride. So false humility without boldness is cowardice. Boldness with humility is God-glorifying confidence. And that's what we should have. Pride says, here's my merit. Humility says, here's God's mercy. Pride says, uh, I have no equal. Humility says, I have need. Pride likes to look down. Humility likes to identify with. Pride turns up his nose. Humility opens up its hands. Pride reports all you've done. Humility just does it. 
Pride claims to be right. Humility does what is right. Pride boasts about its integrity. Humility displays it. And it's often missed because humility doesn't talk about itself. God doesn't gravitate towards prideful people. Read an article this week. Why aren't more people in Hollywood saved? Couldn't God do great work through the world if he would just save Leonardo DiCaprio, right? We could rewrite the ending of Titanic, right? Key, Jesus is the king of the world. Hey, be saved, right? That's what, no. God does not gravitate towards prideful people. All these things, you go out and look at the mountains today. They're beautiful. Summer is here. All these things my hands have made. And so all these things came to be. But this is the one to whom I will look. Who does God look to? He who is humble and contrite in spirit. And he trembles. He trembles at my word. The humble see this and they go, there's a God who created And he's coming back. And I don't have to figure life out. (laughs) He's not going to reveal to me everything. Because over here he says the secret things belong to the Lord. And here I'm supposed to be wise. He gives me 31 days of it so I can read it and be wise. God guides me as he makes me wise. And and as as we sang today, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Once a month, I need you. That's not what we sang, is it? Every hour, I need you. Because right in the middle of this, a little bit to the right, there are four books that talk about my one defense, my righteousness, it's Jesus. God be atoning for me the sinner. And so to make this prayer for us is God, thank you for atoning for my sin through Jesus Christ. How I need you. Father, we need you. Not just once a month, not once a week, not quarterly throughout the year. Every hour, which means every minute, which means right now, we need you. God, we want to do good work for you. Enable us to understand true humility. Empower us to live like Jesus did, who did not consider equality with you something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Let us consider others more significant, more important than ourselves. Give us that understanding, give us that longing, give us that power. So that when you work through us, we can give you the honor. And that others might hear that and long for it themselves. And we open a door to share the greatest news that's ever been given. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.